Here's a question for you. Have you ever been riding in your car on a Sunday afternoon and thought, I have somewhere to be and I can't be home to watch the Cup Series race? I wonder what's going on. Who's in the lead? What's happening on the track? Then you think, wait a second, I can find the race on the radio. One of the greats that helped bring the action to millions of race fans across the country and around the world was Joe Moore, a veteran broadcaster with Motor Racing Network for more than 30 years. And like so many people in NASCAR, Moore started off on the short tracks in North Carolina, not driving race cars, but rather turning wrenches on them for a couple of drivers that raced on Saturday nights. Telling the story of how they made it around the terms came a bit later after serving in the United States military. Mark auditioned for a spot with Motor Racing Network and they said he did pretty good, even though Moore didn't think he did. But he stayed in the turns for quite a few years and brought that action to the race fans. And as fate would have it, well, he went to work in the booth with the legendary Barney Hall and that assignment came on February 18th, 2001. Sadly, that was the day we lost seven-time champion Dale Earnhardt on the final lap of the Daytona 500. After continuing to serve in that role for many years, actually about two decades, Moore retired from MRN. His stories about interviews with drivers and team owners are funny and interesting. And the voice, well, it's very familiar once you've heard it again on this podcast. He has been a great friend to all of us in NASCAR's Cup Series and well, to be honest, we miss him around the garage area and the media centers on the circuit. The good news is we were able to find him in the deep south before he went out and sunk another fish hook in the water. But for a few minutes, good old Joe has joined us to talk about the fun days of NASCAR and some of his greatest stories and how he covered the personalities and races of the past. The voice of MRN, including the great Joe Moore, are the very best announcers in the business. and welcome to another edition of a Lifetime in Motorsports podcast. I'm Jerry Bunkowski along with my good buddy Ben White and we've got a great, great guest. We've been trying to get him for a while and we finally got him. We finally kidnapped him and snared him and we got him in handcuffs. He's all set to go. But no, seriously, uh, gentlemen, we've been wanting to get for the last few weeks and he's been very gracious to join us today. And a name that uh, you know goes without saying, I mean, if you're a NASCAR fan, if you've listened to the radio for years, you know this man. I mean, he's been in your house, uh, your car, everywhere, uh, Mr. Joe Moore. And Joe, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, I guess the best place to start off, we got a lot of ground to cover with you, but you know, you're you're in uh, essentially you're in retirement. Now, tell us about what you're doing these days. I mean, what's keeping you busy, and and you know all that kind of stuff. What's what's going on with you right now? Well, guys, thanks for having me on today. Uh, yeah, I tried to retire. Uh, I left MRN in 2018. Uh, we kept our TV show Raceline going for another year mm-hmm. and closed that down in 19. And uh, I had dreams. Uh, we had moved to the Florida Keys back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so my dream was to, you know, lie in the hammock and fish and <laughs> uh, do that sort of thing. And it didn't take uh, I was so used to being on the go all those years with NASCAR and Raceline and staying busy that I just I could not stand retirement. And it just so happened that uh, the newsman at US One Radio, uh, part of Florida Keys Media, 
mm-hmm. uh, here in uh, the Florida Keys. We They have seven radio stations. Uh, the newsman had been there for 40 years, and he was retiring. And he and I had talked on several occasions. And so he said, you know what, if uh, if you're interested, you know, they're probably looking for somebody. And it coincided with me being bored uh, from retirement. Right. And it's like, hey, maybe I'll go talk to him. Uh-huh. So uh, now I'm doing uh, a morning news talk show oh. on uh, the biggest station here in the Florida Keys, US okay. One Radio. Uh, we daily talk to the mayors and the fire chiefs and the base commanders and politicians and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, very much community locally you know, orientated, but uh, I also talked to the, our congressmen and our state senators and representatives and that sort of thing. I go in early in the morning at like uh, five o'clock and I get off at 10. I come back home and I go fishing or take a nap. I and, like uh, that. I like so that. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm having more fun than I've had probably in my entire career uh, oh. because I'm living where I want to live and I'm doing radio, which is my first love. Right. And uh, the timing and everything about it just fell into place. It was just perfect. And I'm as happy as I can be. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, since you're doing it uh, in the morning, I mean, is that are you is your show available online? Can people listen to you online? I mean, oh yeah, great. Yeah, you well, tell us. Yeah, but let's let's do a plug. Let's do a, a yeah. shameless plug, as they like, like to say. Yeah, you can go to us1radio.com. Okay. We stream live all the time. You can also go to iHeartRadio. Okay. And look up US One Radio, and we're there. And uh, tune in in uh, pretty much any of those apps. We're on all of them. Great, great. So, yeah, great. yeah. Join us sometime. Now I got to ask you one thing before I let I turn it over to Ben. Um, and I say this in all uh, sincerity. Um, you had to be a little, little uh, on your, on your kind of on your tiptoes there a couple of weeks ago with that hurricane. I mean, I know what they say was heading, heading towards the Keys, but then it obviously went to more towards uh, Naples and that area there. But what, what is it like? I mean, this may sound like a dumb question, but when you live in the Keys, and I've never been down there, I've gotten as far as, um, um, oh, I can't even think of the name of the town. It's, it was right just south of Homestead. But anyway, I've never been to the Keys, but uh-huh. when you have a hurricane coming or being told that it's coming, what do you do? Well, that's that's where we excel. Uh, really? And not, I say we, I've only been there for two years now. Right. Uh, but the guys who are there, the stations have been around for 30, 40 years, and mm-hmm. they've been through a lot of hurricanes, and they know what to do. You know, we have a building that's uh, very strongly reinforced. It survived Hurricane Irma, which came pretty much right through the building. Oh, and wow. uh, they stayed on the air. As a matter of fact, they won an Edward R. Murrow Award for their coverage during uh, the Irma hurricane. Right. And uh, Ian didn't come that close to us. We got a lot of flooding, a lot of wind. Right. But yeah, we were doing reports on a regular basis, checking in with the National Weather Service. They have a field office in Key West here. And so we have people on the scene. They have emergency action uh, groups here mm-hmm. in the county. And everybody knows exactly what to do. Uh, they they are pretty good at dealing with hurricanes because there have been a lot that have come through here. So that's uh, that's really like the fire department springing into action. When mm-hmm. a hurricane comes, this whole community knows exactly what to do to prepare. So that was kind of exciting a couple of weeks ago. Right. I was glad that it uh, it missed us <laughs> and certainly feel sorry for the folks out of Fort Myers, the ones who got it hit hard. But, right, uh, right, you know, right. we all know that uh, we're very susceptible to having one come through here. We have uh, another month and a half before hurricane season is over, so right. we're just crossing our fingers that we don't get one before this year's up. 
Well, I'm glad everything worked out. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I was in, uh, we were in the the edge of a hurricane. Oh gosh, how when was it? Two thousand and four or five? I don't remember the name of the hurricane. We were in Orlando, and they were telling us, you know, the hurricane warnings. They were saying, you know, get ready to go into the shelters and all that. And you know, we were at Disney World, and we were getting ready to leave, and we didn't, and it skirted by. It didn't really. I mean, there's some rain, but that was about it. So, mm-hmm. but I feel I feel free, and I'm glad everything's you know okay with you guys down there in in, in Key oh, West. That's uh-huh. uh, Key West is definitely on my bucket list. I I've, I I mean I've got several places I want to go to before I die. Key West is definitely one of them. So, but uh, but anyway, Ben, I'm I'm doing all the talking. I'm gonna let you uh, talk to Joe uh, again uh, for everyone that's tuning in. This is Joe Moore, longtime voice of the Motor Racing Network, and a uh, uh, he's. He's unretired. He's doing a radio uh-huh. show every morning, and it's you know it's good to talk to you not only here on the podcast, but I'm definitely going to tune in on the radio show on the streaming line too as oh. well. So Ben, I'll, I'll well, turn it's, over to you. it's just well, thank you, Jerry. It's just really good to to talk with you again, Joe. You and I've been friends for many years, and sort of lost touch a little bit. And and if you remember, you and I did play around with race line race line a oh, little yeah. bit. I enjoyed uh-huh. working with you on that just. Uh, a little bit there, but I guess one of the questions that I've had for a long time, and I've never really asked you this, but how did you get involved with Motor Racing Network a few years back? I, I, I've often been curious about how that path started for you. Well, I was born and raised in uh, just outside of Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, there was a little dirt track there called Leland Raceway. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, uh, probably 15 or 16, that track opened up and uh, that was my first introduction to racing. And I mean, the people who raced there at the time were names like uh, Richard Brickhouse, who went on to win Talladega, Uh uh, Jackie Rogers, who ran in the Bush Series for a long time. Sam Ard was the king of Leland Raceway for a while. And um, I actually became really good friends with Sam because he was living in Florence at the time he was racing at Leland and he would come to the racetrack with a pickup truck and a trailer and his car on the back and it didn't have any help at all. And so my buddy and I just kind of started hanging around and we sort of became his kind of pit crew. You know, mm-hmm. he uh, would pay our way into the races and buy something to eat. And we did whatever he said for us to do. And we traveled uh, again, I'm 16 or 17 at the time we went to, Little River, South Carolina, Conway, Dillon, uh, the dirt track up in Fayetteville, Spring Lake, I think it was called. Uh, There was a dirt track in Rockingham. And we would travel every weekend to about three or four different Mm -hmm. racetracks. And uh, Sam would, you know, pay our way in. We'd do what he said to do. And we just loved being a part of it. So that was my first taste of motorsports. I was in love with radio before NASCAR came along or any kind of motorsports. I wanted to be you know, a Wolfman Jack or, uh, you know, Don Imus or one of those type guys. I thought that was, you know, really my path in life. And um, I started working in radio in Wilmington while I was still in high school. And then the NASCAR thing, or the the motorsports, I should say, because it wasn't NASCAR at Leland, but the two came together. And eventually, you know, that just became a perfect scenario for the two to merge. So I'm in radio and I'm doing NASCAR. And mm-hmm. so MRN just provided that outlet. And the way I was connected to NASCAR is through Joe Carver, who was the general manager at Langley Speedway. I right. moved yeah. to Hampton, mm-hmm. Virginia, uh, shortly after I got out of the Army. Uh, while in the Army, I worked for American Forces Radio and TV Service in Thailand. And I used to run the board while the NASCAR races were on in Thailand. 
And I would hear that and I thought, oh my goodness, that is amazing. The energy these guys have, the artistry with which they do this. I'd love to do that one day, but at the same time, trying to be realistic about it, you know, the chances of me getting into that or the same as me becoming the new host of the night show. I mean, I just figured that <laughs> was so far fetched. Right. And uh, so when I went to work at Langley after my army career, uh, Joe Carver was a general manager and he was very, very helpful and, um, and was very complimentary of what I did. And he, he told me one day, he says, you should be on MRN. He says, you are, you're good at what you do. And I tried to emulate MRN with my mm -hmm. local PA broadcast at Langley Speedway. I tried to do the same thing. I would record interviews with drivers and use those during my, you know, play-by-play -play and uh, try to polish it up, and make it sound really good. And so Joe actually lined me up with a audition with Mike Joy, who was at the time running Motor Racing Network. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went down to Daytona and we did a trial run on a goodies dash race practice session. And uh, at the time, Jerry Punch, who we all know, Jerry yes. was working for Motor Racing Network. And Jerry was the guy who took me out to the turn and showed me, you know, what to do, what to plug in, how to do this. And, you know, just kind of directed me. Mm -hmm. And so we did about you know, half hour, 45 minutes of play-by-play, -play, just kind of make-believe broadcasting. And when we came down from the tower, uh, Jerry wasn't too encouraging about the job I had done. <laughs> and, and I got back to the office, and they weren't very encouraging about it either. So apparently they couldn't find anybody else in the world to do this job. I don't know what happened, but uh, they actually called me back about uh, two months later. And uh, said so they wanted me to go to Rockingham and do a Bush Series race. I think it was called the Sportsman Series in mm -hmm. those days. And uh, uh, interesting sideline about that race. This is a, a, a crazy start to my career. But uh, they they also had a guy named Mark Garrow, you oh, guys yeah. know, with yeah. PRN. Yeah. Sure, well, yeah. Mark was working in the affiliate relations department with Motor Racing Network in Daytona Beach. And he wanted to be on the air. And so they decided that they would just use Mark in the first half of that race broadcast, and I would be in the second half hmm. working in turn three. So hmm. we're on the back straightaway at Rockingham up in that tower. And so Mark did the first half of the race, and I'm standing there just like watching what he's doing. Uh, he already worked for the network, so I figured he had an in. There's no right. way I'm going to beat him, you know. Plus, I was scared to death. And we got just like three laps shy of the halfway mark. And a driver who coincidentally was from Norfolk, Virginia, who used to race at Langley Speedway, who I knew, Bubba Nissen, hit the wall at the crossover gate in turn two and knocked the wall down. Oh, boy. And they had to call the race because they had to repair the racetrack and get it ready for the cup race the next day. Right. So oh, I never got a chance to say a word. Oh, <laughs> oh, and, and I think that's probably what saved my career because I was so scared that day. I don't know if I could have even uttered a sound, but, uh, but anyway, like a, a couple of weeks later, they called me back and my first broadcast was at Darlington. I was working in turn, uh, let's see, it would be turn four then and it's turn then, two yeah. now, right. I guess, right. Right. but, uh, but I did a bush race there. Yeah. And, um, so after that, they started calling me like maybe once or twice a month, you know, to come in and do a bush race here or there. And, uh, then 
and I'm not real good with years. I, I just can't remember late mid to late seventies sometime ESPN came along and Ned Jarrett and Jerry Punch, who worked for MRN, both moved to television. And so they had two spots open and I was in line. And so from there on, I was the turn guy. Oh, and uh, Mike Joy and Barney Hall worked in the booth. Eli Gold was in a turn and I was in a turn. And we were the mainstays. And then we had other guys who would fill in when we needed more people. But we were the the main crew and we did every single race. So, I think that was about 78 or 79. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and I continued doing the turn until 2001 uh, when uh, Alan went to TV. And then I moved into the booth with Barney. So, that was my the, first. so the Tonight Show really did happen for you. It did. Yeah, it did. That's a good way to put it, Ben. I mean, that's, that's, that's wild. Um, you know, and it, it just shows you that, Hey, you don't, don't, don't worry about dreaming so big. Cause it could actually yeah. happen yeah. for you. Well, I yeah, got to ask you one real quick question. I'm going to give yeah. it right back to Ben, but I got to ask you a real quick no, no, question. No, that's fine. Okay. You're in Thailand. How many NASCAR fans are in Thailand other than the service people? Well, that's all the service people <laughs> and uh, <laughs> AFRTS. I mean, that, right. their whole programming, they wanted it programmed like a, uh, a U.S. radio station. So okay, we played okay. top 40 music for one right. part of the day. We'd play country music one part of the day. We'd play easy listening. We'd play soul. You know, we were a mixed bag to try to please everybody's palate. Right. And uh, they would do baseball and football and NASCAR. And uh, and yeah, it was just for the troops over there who wanted to keep up well, with what's going on at home. Well, I mean, so, obviously so you, you did something right because – you had a very distinguished career with Motor Racing Network and did a fabulous job for, for a lot of years and followed in the footsteps of Barney and went to the booth and all that. So uh, did a really, really great job with that. But uh, you, you yeah, didn't, I mean, you, I can understand. Uh, I I, I'm say, sorry. I could just say I can understand why you'd be nervous. Like you just got a couple of million people listening. That's right. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you were in Thailand, though, you didn't go – Good morning, Thailand. Like, good morning, Vietnam. You didn't do that, though, right? It, you know what? There were a lot of similarities in that really? movie to what real life was like uh, okay. in Thailand. I mean, obviously, it was a different country, but uh, we were actually supporting the war in right. Vietnam. Right. The right. base I was stationed on was uh, an Air Force base. I was in the Army, but I was on an Air Force base because uh, American Forces Radio, they didn't care what service you were in. They plugged us in anywhere. In our station, we had Navy guys and and Army guys and Marines, you know, and Air Force guys as well. Right. And um, so, you know, we had the fun job. Uh, the B-52s were taken off 24 hours a day on that base when I first got there in 1972. And it was just like every day uh, they would send out sorties. Three would go out, three would come in. Three would go out, three would come in. And then also you'd notice only two came back. Oh, and then boy. only one would come back. And oh, I mean... Boy. So every day we were losing people, people you'd see at the post office, you'd see at the NCO club and you'd see around the base that were losing their lives. I mean, it was, it was pretty serious for them. Right. We were just having a party, you know, we're playing music and running races and doing all that right. and having a wonderful time. It was, it was absolutely amazing experience uh, that I would do over and over again, as many times as I could, if that was possible. And, right. and Joe, just a side note here. You talked about Jackie Rogers. He actually ran 41 Cup Series races, uh -huh. uh, and he was for a based out of Wilmington there. And he ran, I remember he ran number 93. That was Lemon Tree Inn was his sponsor for the biggest part of his career. Yeah. And, uh -huh. uh, 
And I just remember, I don't know why I still remember that, but number 93 was his cut uh-huh. streets number. And um, from, from 1974 to 76 and ran Chevrolet's. I don't know why I remember that. But, but. Uh, well, here, here's another fun fact about Jackie and Sam Ard. Uh, the guy who owned Sam's car when he was racing at Leland Raceway, his name was John Altman. He was also from Florence. He was a car dealer down there. Mm-hmm. Well, he and Sam together, he as the owner and Sam as the driver, they just kicked butt every place they went. I mean, they just ruined racetracks because it was always Sam who won the race. And they were always putting bounties on his head and all that. Well, Sam and he had a disagreement. Again, I don't know what year this was, probably, you know, late 60s or something like that. And and they broke up. Sam went out on his own and built his own cars. Mm-hmm. And John Altman hired Jackie Rogers. <laughs> so Jackie took over Sam's car. So then suddenly things got really good at Leland Raceway and, and Conway and Little River and those places because oh, it was boy. Sam versus Jackie, you know. Sam, the former driver, and Jackie, the guy who took his ride. (laughs) You can imagine that that was just beautiful. The the promoters loved that. Well, uh, another question that comes to mind too, Joe, is, I mean, you had some awesome guys that you worked with there at MRN. Of course, Barney Hall can't say enough good about Barney. And then you had, uh, you know, of course, um, um, Oh gosh, I just went blank. I knew I was going to do that. Well, Mike, Mike Joy, Mike uh, the Joy. consummate pro, yeah. probably the best thing that's ever come to motorsports as far as announcing radio or TV. You know, Mike was fantastic. Uh, of course, in later years, I worked with Jeff Striegel. He's still yeah. there with Alex yeah. Hayden. They're doing the the booth uh, coverage now. Uh, Mike Bagley, I worked with him for a long time. Yep. Uh, Dan Hubbard. Has mm-hmm. always been a part of the scene. Uh, Fred Armstrong was there in the early days. He still works for MRN, doing the voice work. He's mm-hmm. the off stage yeah, announcer. Voice if of you his, will. yeah, um, yeah. There, there, there was a lot of talented people who came through Motor Racing Network, and uh, and it, and it was a lot of fun working with them and and learning from them. But it was a job that took every bit of your life. I mean, it was just it a total consuming. And and I think that's what happened to me after 25 years of doing it. You know, I got to the point where I was just over it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2018, uh, they had a complete change of management. Uh, they at one time had a staff in Concord of like 55 people that worked there. They laid just about everybody off. I think now they have a staff of maybe three people. Wow. Um, and uh, wow. Uh, full-time, I mean, uh, right. full-time people. And uh, so that year, they just came to me and said, okay, we've decided not to renew your contract. And it seemed like a bad thing at the time. I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? This is what I've done for the last 30 years. How will I live? But, oh, my God, <laughs> it got so much better. I was so sick of airplanes and hotels. Yeah. And and racing had lost its luster. You know, things started going downhill about 2008 yep. as far as the popularity of the sport. I mean, I can remember guys, and, and you can too, I'm sure, uh, back in the early days, you get on an airplane in Pocono or Michigan or someplace on the way home, and you got a shirt that identifies you with motorsports. I had the MRN shirt, and people would walk up and say, oh, who won the race today? You know, <laughs> how, how did Kel Yarborough do? What, right. what, you know, all, and then in the last 10 or 15 years, nobody knew me from Adam. I mean, really? nobody ever asked. They didn't yeah. know what MRN was. Uh, they saw the NASCAR logo. Nobody cared. Right. I mean, it wow. was a total change 
in, in attitude from the general public. I mean, I know there's still a lot of fans who love NASCAR racing, but uh, it, it really dropped off after, yeah. you know, 2008, 2010. And I can totally understand what you felt because being with NASCAR illustrated for 25 years and, and I say nothing negative to about the guys that I worked with and the people I worked for, because they were extremely good to me, but I mean, it was an economic mm -hmm. thing from their part in 2008, myself, Steve Wade, Mike Hembry, a bunch of us senior management people, you know, in 90 minutes, I'm driving up the highway yep. with no job after yeah. 25 mm -hmm. years yep. in that case, but they were extremely good to me, good to my family. When my wife was going through stage four colon cancer, cannot stay enough good about street dispense sports group. They were so good to me, but I felt that same thing. It's like, Holy cow. What am I going to uh -huh. do with myself after 25 years in the yeah. same job? Yeah. And, and it was just so gut wrenching and gut. I mean, good grief. It was, it was sad, but I totally understand where you were um, in that because at one time I had the same exact experience where people would come up to me, 10 uh -huh. people in a day who won, yeah. who won, who won. And then there was yeah. like crickets, you know, yep. it was the same Change thing. It. And so, I think uh, also what happened about yeah, that time, exactly. you know, there was a big uh, economic right. downturn in 2008 right. and, you know, they cut back on the number of testing sessions and, you know, a lot of things changed within the sport, but at the same time, the landscape sure. of entertainment was changing with TV and streaming video and, and satellite radio. There were so many other options mm -hmm. and so many other things for people to do. You know, and I talked to numerous people who said, oh, yeah, for 20 years, we'd always go to Darlington and camp out and make it a big weekend. And our friends from Vermont would come down and our friends from Alabama would come over. And and then it's like, you know, we're just not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And they it kind of stopped. I think that was a big turning point for the sport overall. Yeah. And I still run into folks uh, even just a day or two ago uh in an auto parts place i had to get something from my pickup truck and we just got to talking about a really nice gentleman uh talking about nascar and he asked me what i did for a living i told him he said you know i enjoyed nascar but today dale Earnhardt passed away i never went back to another one uh, yeah and i get into that a lot yeah people I've heard that after a lot he too. passed away uh, yeah i just never went back so yeah and lots of different other reasons too but then that you know there's still people that of course enjoy it but some of the older fans said after he passed away, I just never went back to another one. Uh -huh. So lots of different reasons. Yeah. Joe, how, I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, whenever I ask people that have moved on from NASCAR and you're doing other things, they're either retired, they move into other jobs, whatever. I always ask them, you know, how much do you miss NASCAR? And invariably everybody to the person, I don't think I've ever had a person say anything differently. They always say, first of all, they say, I miss the people the fans, the people uh -huh. I worked with, the drivers, uh -huh. the, the crew chiefs, pretty much. Is that pretty much the same thing with you? The people or the, the thing you miss most about NASCAR? Absolutely. I don't miss anything at all about getting on airplanes and going to airports and going through all that mess every single week. And, you know, after a while, like BB King said, the thrill is gone. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but, but I made a lot of good friends yeah. over the years and I, and I miss those friends, you know, I used to see them every week. You know, mm -hmm. I saw the people at the racetrack as much as I saw my own family. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that, uh, that leaves a little void, you know, uh, with, uh, with those personalities. And I still stay in touch with some, not, not all, not anywhere near as much as I would like to, mm -hmm. but uh that's that's probably the the biggest thing that I miss. Uh, without a doubt, it is the biggest thing. It's just mm -hmm. some of those 
relationships that develop over the years. Now, you know, yeah. and to, to follow it up, you know, I mean, I've talked to several, especially drivers, former drivers, and um, it, it's it's odd to me, and I still can't get my head, head around this, but when somebody leaves the sport, they don't usually come back to watch the sport. They don't really follow the sport that much. I mean, how about um, you? I mean, do you still, you know, do you still go to a few races here or there? Do you watch watch or listen to it on either on an MRN or watch it on TV? I mean, wh- how, what's your interaction i guess with with nascar uh you know these days i mean is it none I, what i barely know what's going on uh every mm-hmm. now and then if i'm uh running an errand mm-hmm. and i know okay they're racing such and such today i'll flip over there and just listen to some of my old friends you know covering the race sometimes i'll watch it on tv if there's nothing else to watch just to see what's going on just right. to kind of get a quick dose but it doesn't take long before i change the channel and I've not been to a race since uh, 2018. Really? And I have no plans to go to another. NASCAR is in Homestead this weekend. And that's only about an hour and a half drive from here. Right. And uh, and I'm sure I could call the racetrack or call MRN and get credentials and go. Um, even had the state senator this morning. I had her on the radio doing an interview. And she said, I've got some tickets to Homestead if you'd like them. <laughs> I said, Ask somebody else. I'm not interested. I'm going fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm over it, man. It's like. I did that for for 30 years, um, and and that was an all encompassing part of my life. And uh, now that it's over, I mean, I'm glad that I did it, mm-hmm. and it 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 gave me a lot of opportunities. Uh, it's one of the reasons I'm living in the Florida Keys right now. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm done. Well, let, let me ask this, and and this is always one of the hardest questions for anybody to answer. But you know, all the things you did saw over 30 years. Is there, you know, one thing that sticks out in your mind is like your favorite story in NASCAR? There's, there's two. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I call it a favorite story. I'd say it was most memorable uh, moments in my career. And both of those moments uh, involved Dale Earnhardt. Hmm. Um, the first, I was there when he won his first Daytona 500 in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that day. And I mean, it was just like, that was just such a big deal after he had tried for, I think it was 17 times or something like that. Right. And he finally won the race. And then of course, in 2001, uh, of course we lost Dale, but also that was my very first broadcast as a booth announcer, co-anchor with Barney Hall. Oh, wow. I mean, here I am. First mm. time I've I've come out of the turn. I'm up there in the booth where you've got more of a global approach of the whole thing. Right. And it's as intimidating as hell. You know, you're scared to death. That you're going to say the wrong thing. And we're getting right down to the final laps of the race. And of course, we know what happened there. Right. And then you talk about walking through a minefield. You know, how, what do I say? Obviously, something really bad has happened. We didn't know how bad it was. But we're listening to NASCAR through our earphones, and we can hear cryptic messages going back and forth. It was obvious that it was not good news, but we didn't know, and we couldn't speculate. Mm -hmm. And we're having to stay on the air to continue to coverage, and people are listening, wanting to know what's taking place, how's Dale, what, you know, we don't know. And I mean, that that was like walking a tightrope. That was uh, a real test of your metal right there. So, and uh, as it turns out, we had to go off the air before you know we finally knew what had happened mm-hmm. to Dale, and we were like driving down the road in Daytona Beach, stopped off to get uh, something to eat someplace, and uh, we saw it on TV when they made the announcement. When we oh. left the air, we didn't know; we just knew wow. he was in bad condition, 
and they had taken him to the hospital. So how do you cover something like that, though, Joe? I mean, how do you how do you tiptoe that line without going too far? Well, you you continue to talk about, you know, how the accident happened and go back out to the turn and get Fred Armstrong to, you know, recap what he saw, yeah. how he thinks it occurred. And then you kind of describe, okay, so they've got the wreckers in position now. Uh, they're pulling this car away and looks like they're starting to clean up over here. Mm -hmm. And uh, meanwhile, in victory lane, we have this going on and you just got to kind of keep dancing and talking and trying to make a little bit of sense. But at the same time, the other half of your brain is listening to the radio and wondering what the heck does that mean when they say, you know, some code language that, you know, we had no idea what they were talking about. They had certain words because they didn't want the word to get yeah, out. They're until, probably, yeah, you know, they're, they're probably ready. saying stuff and, like uh, we have a 1017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff, yeah. you know. And so we're, you're, yeah. when you're trying to talk and think of something to say and at the same time listen to that, trying to figure out what they're saying, right. you know, you can imagine how how difficult that can be. Um, so yeah. that, that was tough. I mean, again, it was tough enough that it was my first broadcast of the Daytona 500 mm -hmm. in the booth. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, we lose Dale Earnhardt and Yeah, and you know the irony of that in a way, I mean, you that was the toughest first booth type broadcast you had and the tough one for Barney ironically was the 79 Daytona 500 when they got in the big yeah. fight in turn 3 and, and mm -hmm. Richard Petty comes out of nowhere to win. And you know, he said told me when we did the book together he said i had no idea that was going to happen in my first mm -hmm. booth <laughs> uh you know broadcast in the day 2500 and lo and behold all that mess come yeah. down you know so you had you had your baptism yeah. i guess and mm -hmm. that one yeah. and uh but yeah i mean it was a crazy day and you know on the on the media side for us in the press box you can always tell something's wrong when it's quiet yeah. Yeah. And it got extremely mm -hmm. quiet in the, in the medias or in the, in the press box, which is rare. Everybody's typing, 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 uh -huh. not shouting, but you're talking. And that day you could have heard a pin drop and, you know, we knew yeah. things were not good. Yeah. So, right. Well, Joe, let me ask you this. Obviously that was your first, uh, you know, uh, show or first um, broadcast in the booth. But you were with Barney Hall. I wanted to ask you specifically about that race. How did Barney, uh, how, what was the interaction between the two of you for that race? Obviously, Barney had been such a uh, you know a veteran about that. How was it that did he help you by being there? If you know what I'm saying. And then also, what was Barney like? Just being Barney, not on the air but off the air as well too. Well, Barney was one of the kindest, sweetest human beings I've ever met in my mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. When I first uh, when when John McMullen was running the network. Um, um, 10 years, I guess, before I went to the booth, they would put me in the booth sometimes working with Barney on a Saturday race. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, Mike Joy had already left and gone to TV, and it was Barney and Eli. Mm -hmm. And many times Eli was doing an Alabama game on a Saturday and couldn't be there. Right. And so John would stick me in the booth, I guess, kind of prepping me for, you know, the eventuality of someone leaving. And, uh, so I'd work with Barney. And in the early days, although Barney was very friendly and nice away from the booth, he was difficult to work with in the booth. I mean, he just 
I think he was out of his comfort zone because he had been working with Mike and with Eli mm-hmm. for all those years. And suddenly here comes this kid, you know, and we had a hard time communicating. He was just, he would just sort of do his part of the broadcast and I'd do it a little bit. And, you know, I'm trying to get along and make it work. And it was very awkward for mm-hmm. a, a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of got to the point where I, I guess he gained trust in me. I think mm-hmm. that's probably what it was. And he, he he kind of figured I could hold my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the incident at uh, Darlington? Ronald Cooper and uh, Randy McDowell. Yeah, crashed. And I said, trouble in turn two, Ronald McDonald. Is <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. Story. Yeah, and uh, and and Barney turned over and says, "Well, that was a mess, wasn't it?" <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of what opened it up because I laughed along with what he said, and he got a kick out of it. And after that point, it seems like we kind of developed a chemistry, and then that led on to when I eventually went to the booth, and then we were just the best of friends. Uh, Barney would always keep a little piece of paper in his shirt pocket, mm-hmm. and during the broadcast every week. I'd see him out of the corner of my eye, pull this little piece of paper out and kind of look at it. You know, I'm thinking, what is he, what is he doing? And I finally figured out what it was. He would like during the week, he'd write down jokes. And at during the middle of the broadcast, when we went to commercial break, he would tell one of his (laughs) jokes. (laughs) And they were always fantastic because he just liked having a good time. Right, right, right. And he used to say to all of us uh, on the crew, he'd say, if you're not going to have a good time, why are you even doing it? Yeah. And so he he was lighthearted. He was serious about what he did. He did an excellent job, of course. But uh, he also liked to kind of, you know, have a little levity about the whole thing. And I think that's one of the things I liked about Barney so much is that uh, he didn't take anything too seriously. And uh, he just loved life, and he loved people, and he was just a happy guy. Yeah. You know, uh, Joe, one of the funny stories, and I uh, I think Dave Moody might be okay with me telling this, but when uh, President Bush was, I believe, at the 500, I guess that's where he was, George Bush. Uh, Senior, right? It wasn't H.W. Bush. It was, the, oh, was, it was George Bush. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, and they... He was in the, I'll try to condense this. He was in the booth uh, calling the start of the race. He basically said, here they come and there they go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was there. And Okay. I was there. That, well, you can tell it. You day, can tell it better than I can. Yeah, well, you go ahead. I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to some friends and uh, in my office at the radio station, I've got a photograph of uh, George Bush and Barney and I standing there in the booth. And, uh, that day, I remember because they did everything but strip us down and perform an anal search. Uh, <laughs> we went to the tower, and uh, when we got to the booth, there were sharpshooters on the building right across the racetrack. Oh, I wow. mean, just standing right there, you know. And we knew that the president was coming in at some point. We just didn't know when. And uh, so Barney and I sat maybe two feet apart. There was equipment and stuff in between us. And at, uh, just as the cars were going up onto the banking, getting ready to go out and do the pace laps before they started the race, I felt somebody elbow me in the side. Somebody was standing in between Barney and I, and he kind of elbowed me. I thought it was our director. And I looked around, and it's the damn president, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it's like, oh, hey. And hey, so, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. 
So I started it off and, you know, said, welcome to the booth. Uh, sure is good to have you here. Are you having a good time or something, you know? And then Barney started talking to him and Barney started talking about uh, Air Force One and what a magnificent aircraft that was because we had seen it land that morning. Right. And uh, so then Barney, yeah, had him do a couple of laps. And sure enough, he did say, you know, here they come, there they go. <laughs> the other fun part of that encounter was uh, I asked him, I says, uh, do you follow NASCAR in the White House? And he says, well, yeah, sometimes we watch it on TV. And I said, well, you should be listening to it on the radio. <laughs> and so after that, my boss came to me and says, do you realize you just told the president of the United States what to do? <laughs> so I'm trying well, to promote the network. <laughs> yeah, well, part, the thing I was thinking about, too, was uh, he said something about the when they come and there they go was they after they said something about it was well, okay well after this thank you mr president for coming to the booth and whatever you went i think you went to a commercial break if i'm not telling this incorrectly and dave moody said boy i tell you what he sure but it's better hope he's a better president than he is an announcer and he was still on the air i mean he still had the headphones on he said well you tell whoever said that he's right in awe, and you know it's like that was one of those moments where you don't think clearly <laughs> yeah and he, he, he the president was still on the had the headphones on mm -hmm. and he's like dave's like holy cow i'm gonna get audited or whatever now <laughs> but he said he said i just hope he's a better president than he is an announcer and then the president <laughs> said you tell him he's right <laughs> yeah. yeah oh boy well you yeah. know Joey, I mean, you know, of all the people, I mean, you've come in contact with thousands of people, not just, you know, fans, but certainly, you know, people in the garage, the owners, the drivers, the crew chiefs, uh, the, the guys who work in the, on the pit crews, all that kind of thing. And I, and I know when people ask me this question, I can't legitimately answer it because I could name 20 different people if I wanted to. But was there ever like one or two or five? people that were kind of like your favorites, the kind of people you would go to for, not just for interviews, but just to hang out. Hey, what's going on? Or, you know, uh, and I hate to use the word favorites, but do you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, were, were there a couple of guys in your career that, you know, were your, for lack of a better word, were your favorites, if you will? Okay, you just froze up. Okay, I guess we're good okay. now. Okay, I guess so. Yeah, we froze. Uh, yeah, did, I uh, guess uh, the top of that list for me would be Jeff Bodine. Really? Yeah, Jeff had raced at uh, Langley Speedway. He used to drive for Emmanuel Zervakis out of Richmond, Virginia, mm -hmm. when he first came south mm -hmm. from uh, his modified upbringing. And uh, so I knew him on a regular basis. And and I used to, uh, I actually told him this story one day. I said, you know, I, I pull for you to win races. And he says, well, what's the reason? I said, because you're such an easy interview. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, because I had the choice of him or Tommy Ellis. And Tommy Ellis, you'd, you'd go down to Victory Lane to interview him in front of the crowd. You know, there's 5,000 people up there. You know, it's like, Tommy, congratulations. He said, thank you. I'd say, uh, <laughs> were there, yeah, were there any right. real close moments there? He said, nope, all good. <laughs> and it's like, Jeff, on the other hand, he would take the mic out of your hand and just do a speech, you know, and just say, congratulations. Oh, I want to thank everybody. He just go and go and go and yeah. go and go. You yeah, have to cut him right. short, you know? And so 
you know, when he got in a NASCAR and, and I was on the road uh, doing the, the Cup Series for MRN, yeah, I'd always kind of gravitate to him because, you know, we did have a relationship uh, that went back like that. Other people like in the Bush Series, uh, I was pretty close with Steve Grissom. Mm-hmm. Do you remember him? Yep. When he raced on a regular basis, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Peck and I always had a lot to talk about, you know. Uh, and, and, of course, in the Cup Series, and you guys both remember this back, you know, in the early years, you could walk in the garage and walk over there and talk to Davey Allison sitting mm-hmm. on the back of his truck or Alan Kowicki standing over here, leaning up against the wall. And, yeah. you know, it was just so laid back. You could talk to any and everybody. And in the last 10 years that I was there, you had to have a damn appointment. Yep. Yeah. Just to get a couple true. of comments, you know, which they didn't even want to do because everybody in the world wanted to comment. Right. Um, so the, the landscape changed. And I think that's, part of what probably you know changed my attitude about the whole thing right when, when in your career and i get asked this a lot myself too because i covered you know uh, back early in their days when i was with usa today i covered everything you know you name it baseball football basketball hockey etc cetera, etc cetera. when you got into motorsports uh announcing had there been and uh, excuse me if i if i'm ignorant on this area and maybe uh, you may have and i just don't know it did you do other sports or did you want to do other sports other than motorsports? I'm I'm curious. No, no. Always no? always enjoyed uh college basketball, big ACC fan, right. you know, being from North Carolina and, and living in Virginia for a long time. And I'd watch football, baseball a little bit, you know, but but NASCAR was really what I was into. And and again, I think for the most part, it was because of the way Motor Racing Network did the broadcast. Mm. I found the same energy from that. When I was sitting in a radio station on the other side of the earth in Thailand running the broadcast, you know, I'm listening to how tight and concise these announcers are. Right. It was the same energy that I got from rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. You know? right, right, right. So it was it was kind of radio morphing into racing. Right. And and I think I was always a bigger radio guy than I was a NASCAR guy, mm-hmm. although I like NASCAR, too. But, right. you know, right. I think I was more about the radio end of it. Okay. Ben? Let me ask you this, Joe. I mean, going back even before Sam Art and Jackie Rogers, did your dad or mom or, or uncle, anybody take you to a race as a child or how no. did you, where's the first time you saw one? Was when it when I was, when I was about 16 years old, uh, yeah. when Leland okay. Raceway was built, uh, and, and it was right like a half mile from my house hmm. and Leland was, uh, it's Leland's like three miles outside of Wilmington. And okay. it's just a bedroom community and there's nothing there. I mean, the school I went to Leland high school was grades one through 12. And there was like maybe 500 people in the entire school, oh, you know? Okay. So everybody knew each other intimately. My graduating yeah. class was like 47 people. Right. Yeah. And so to have a racetrack there, suddenly it's like, Hey, we're on the map. <laughs> and I thought it was the biggest deal in the world to go there. And the radio station that I worked for in Wilmington, the first station I worked for was WGNI. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to work there as a janitor uh, in order to get a radio job. Uh, I figured they would never hire some kid off the street with no experience. But I figured at least if I got in the door, maybe I'd get to know people and could work my magic. Mm-hmm. And and it worked. You know, I, huh. I cleaned the floors and stuff, but eventually they gave me an opportunity. And the opportunity uh, was Mike Finley. Mike, I, I'm still in contact with him. He lives in Winston-Salem. Mm. And Mike was program manager. He got me in the radio business. 
And coincidentally, he was the I track announcer that. at Leland Raceway. Oh, wow. So wow. on Saturday nights, after I got to know him, I'd go up there and sit beside Mike and keep his paperwork together, go get him a cup of coffee, you know, do whatever I could do just to be there. Right. And every now and then he'd let me say a word or two, you know. And then and to, to take this story a little bit further, when the draft came about in 1971 and I was going to have to go in the military, Mike had already been in the Army. And he was aware of American Forces Radio TV service. And he says, you should try to get into this. If you want to do this for a living, this would be a great way to advance your career. And in hmm. those days, there was no internet. There's no way to look up anything. Nobody had ever heard of AFRTS. That's long before Good Morning Vietnam. Right. And so I, when I went to the recruiter, that's what I started asking about. And, uh, and, and it all came to all because of Mike. He got me in radio. He got me started around the racetrack. You know, they're sitting up in the announcer booth and he directed me to AFRTS. So, you know, he's he and Joe Carver were probably the two people in my life that uh, shaped my career the most. Wow. OK, that, let me ask you this. Where have I heard the name Joe Carver uh, Joe, in other circles? Joe was the promoter for Nashville Fairgrounds Raceway for about 10 years when the okay. Cup Series used to run there. OK. And then Joe went to work for Daryl Waltrip. That's what I okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah. I knew Joe, he was somewhere was, else uh, in the mix yeah Joe was uh, was born and raised in in Nashville and Daryl of course was close by there and used to start he started his career in Nashville and so Joe and and Daryl were kind of tight early on and I think okay. Daryl had something to do with him getting the promoter job in Nashville and then in later years and if you remember what was the guy's name Gary Baker. That yes. owned all those tracks right. and went bankrupt and all that. Yep. Well, Joe had actually, after he worked at Langley for a while, and I was doing his announcing, he moved back to Nashville and he mm -hmm. offered me a job in Nashville. And I was getting ready to move to Nashville. This is before MRN, but I was getting ready to move out there. And right in the middle of me having my house for sale and looking for a house in Nashville and all that, Gary Baker declares bankruptcy. Oh, and geez. Joe calls one night and says, not only do you not have a job, I don't have a job. Oh, <laughs> you know? okay. And I came that close to being a guitar picker looking for a gig in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes things work out the way they're supposed to it's work right. out. It's yeah, right. You know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. And I just, I knew the name and I couldn't put, I, I knew I'd heard it somewhere. And then you solved the mystery for me because I, I knew that there was some kind of connection somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. He'd been around the sport for a long time. Yeah. He, okay. he was, Joe was a good dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask. I, I look, I'll tell you, let me tell you, if we have time, I got a quick okay. story about Joe. Okay. This is one of my favorite stories. I told this story at his funeral when he passed away about uh, six, seven years ago. When I first started working at Langley, uh, the very first night I worked there, as a matter of fact, um, again, scared to death, don't know exactly what to do, what to say and all that. And in those days at Langley, uh, there were people like Elton Sawyer that was running there. And, you know, Elton now is a vice president with NASCAR. Mm -hmm. uh, Bubba Adams, uh, there were some pretty big names. And Joe did a really good job of promoting those guys and make them seem like stars there in the local area. Well, close to the end of the race, there was a big crash between Elton and Bubba and two or three others. And suddenly people come out of the pits and they've got tire irons and chains <laughs> and stuff. And the fans are climbing the fence trying to get to them. I mean, it's like a riot about to take place. Uh -huh. And so I'm up in the tower. I'm standing there with a the mic in my hand. I don't know what to say or do. 
And Joe calls me and he says, Joe, play the national anthem. And I said, what? He said, play the national anthem. And I thought, all right, this is crazy as hell. But <laughs> I had it on a little tape machine there, you know, so I rewound it. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. I hit the button and everybody stopped fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Damnedest thing I ever seen. <laughs> and that so, is a great to, story. To this day, uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, but uh, Daryl Waltrip, every time I saw him at the racetrack after that, when uh, we'd pass each other in the elevator in the hall or something, you know, he'd say, play the national anthem, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, that's pretty cool. I, yeah, I'll remember that case. I'm in a bar fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good, good job. Good job. Okay. Good to know. It's right. See things like that might get you out of some kind of yeah, trouble somewhere yeah. along the way. Yeah, store that song this. on your phone and your iPhone in case anybody starts going after you. Just play it and mm-hmm. there you go. That's it. I, Joe, I, I got to ask you two questions or t- about two individuals in particular. And, um, you know, they were arguably the two biggest names this sport has ever seen. Um, do you have a favorite story about Richard Petty? Do you have a favorite story about Dale Earnhardt? Uh, well, Richard Petty, yes. Uh, we were doing at the time, uh, and I had only been with MRN for a short period of time, but we used to do a, a piece called Inside NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And it was a four or five minute little soundbite type piece interview that we would stick in when the race was getting drawn out. And there was nothing going on, you know. And so John McMullen gave me the job of going down to do this piece with Richard Petty. And I had only been doing this for a couple of years at the time. So I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, what was going on. And I had seen Richard Petty and I had mm-hmm. waved to him and he waved back. I'm sure he didn't know me from Adam. And uh, we're at Talladega. And I went down and uh, he's standing there looking at the car, just finished practice. And he's talking to his guys and they're doing this and doing that. And so I'm just kind of standing there. I don't know exactly how to approach him. And so then they all took off and went to the hauler. And so I figured, well, what the hell? I'll just follow them. So I follow them to the hauler. And and we get up in the truck and uh, standing in the back. And Joe is, I mean, uh, Richard is looking at this one's okay. Now you need to take that other truck and take that back up to Randleman. And you need to pick up this other car and go down there. And I mean, he's just like giving everybody orders, you know. And so when he finally gets caught up, he says, okay, what now? And I said, you can talk to me. And he said, you just lost your turn. <laughs> and I didn't know if he was joking or what. I didn't know how to react. And uh, so I, I started kind of squirming to get up out of the seat. He said, I'm just kidding. He said, hang on a second. We'll talk. And he gave oh, me the greatest wow. interview in the world. Wow. You know? wow. wow. And then a, a similar incident with Earnhardt. This was at Pocono one year. And I was trying to approach him. I had to get a, a sound bite from him about an upcoming race. And um, so he was talking with his guys and I'm standing over there trying to, you know, be seen, but yet not in the way. And uh, as he walks away from the car, headed to the truck, I said, Dale, can I get a couple of words uh, from you about Talladega? And he said, I'm not thinking about Talladega. I'm thinking about Pocono. That's where we are. You know? <laughs> and it's like, Oh no. He said, I'm just kidding. And he put his arm around me. <laughs> he said, come on, what do you need? <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That is great. That is great. Ben. Uh, 
I, I thought you were going to say he was going to say something like Talladega, Alabama. That's two words <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. He would pull that on you from time to time. What uh-huh. else do you want? You know, he <laughs> depends on what kind of mood he was in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's just, we, you, you've got a lot of stories there and it's kind of neat. Like we all have got some, you know, some fun times, but that you're right back in those, in the eighties and nineties, it was just a different era and a lot uh-huh. of fun where you, you know, uh, and I've told Jerry this and I think Jerry knew it already, but there were times when drivers would actually come to you and say, Hey, I got a story idea. Yep. For uh-huh. you. Yep. Uh-huh. And those, those times and they're like, now nah. I've told some of the younger you know, people in their sport today about some of that. They'd like, really, they would do that. I said, yeah, they would. Uh, you uh-huh. know, I remember Sterling Marlin come to me once and said, Hey, Hey, I, I got a story idea for you. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Yeah. What is it? And you know, they would come to you and say, y'all ought to do a story about uh-huh. this. So and- Rick, uh, Ricky Rudd used to uh, come up to me, uh, when he was racing regularly. And what was the guy's name, uh, that, uh, that wrote for the paper out of Western Salem for so long. Mike um, Mulhern. Mike Mulhern. Mulhern. Yeah, yeah. 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 So <laughs> Ricky would come up and say, uh, okay, I got Mulhern running. I said, what are you talking about? And, and I knew Ricky because he was from the Norfolk area where I was living at the time, you know, and he'd say, uh, uh, I, I told him to so-and-so is, is quitting or so-and-so is getting fired or whatever, you know, <laughs> to send him on a wild goose chase. And he got the biggest <laughs> kick out of that, you know? And every time I'd see Ricky, I'd say, have you sent Mulhern on a story yet? He said, no, I'm trying to think of something. Will you have any ideas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They Mulhern would, the, worked hard, man. He, yeah, he, he did. He dug and dug and dug. And he thought when, when somebody told him, he thought that was serious. You know, he was going after to get the story. Yeah, he would. And, and sometimes teams would float something to him uh-huh, just to see if it uh-huh. would stick. And, you know, and you'd read it in the paper and it was really sometimes not always, but sometimes there'd be no, no truth to it, but they'd float it. And yeah. see. It's like, Hey, you know, that might work. You know, this driver <laughs> going to that team or whatever. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. uh, so really that would work. Okay. And I think a driver or two actually got hired because of just to see how it would float uh-huh. in the paper, you know, so uh-huh. some of that kind of stuff would go on, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, back in that era, it was, um, you know, a lot, as you said, as you pointed out before, it was just, I, I wish some folks today could understand what it was like because you could just, it was so different than what it is today. Uh, you could just go through a garage and it was, we'd go, we'd see each other at the racetrack. They would all go to dinner together. Uh-huh. and stay at the same hotels together and hang out at the pool together. Sometimes if we had time, like it was a Monday Southern 500, uh, when you'd run in those races that we'd hang out at the pool on Sunday afternoon sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember sitting at, the at the pool at what was that, uh, hotel at Darlington, the fireball or the fire, <laughs> what was that, that place? What was it? The Thunderbird. The Thunderbird. Yeah, the Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Tiffany just reminded me of that. Yeah. And and there's Tim Richmond sitting over there on that side, and there's Davey Allison sitting over there. And you know, it, it, it was just like that was commonplace. You know, Sterling Marlin was hanging out. Those guys would go out to the bars at night. And uh, you know, that's something that in the last 15 years you never see. If you go to a right. real high-end restaurant, right. you might run into one of those guys, but uh not sitting by the pool of the hotel. No, no, a lot of fun in those days. Exactly. Joe, we're going to let you go because you have been so generous with your time. But we two things. One, number one, we want to thank you for taking the time to do and being with us. Yes. 
And number two, we're going to get you back on again very soon because, you know, you we just I think we just scratched the surface uh, with you. But I wanted to ask you before we we do let you go. You know, you've had such a great career. You're still, you know, in the in the uh, in the radio business um, in a different capacity, obviously. But have you ever thought about maybe doing a book? about about all the things in you know that you saw and you know through you know the the lens of both you know being in the turns being in the booth you know all the guys you had all the stories you had everything about doing a book at all well i'm like barney hall i'd be afraid to do a book because i might be indicted (laughs) 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 i've actually thought about it yeah you know i just don't know that i have the um the recollection for one thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, there's so many, uh, I've been so many places. I've been everywhere, man. Like Johnny Cash yep. said, you know, yep. Yep. and, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I could actually pull it all together. I would have to take a year off probably and to sit down and, and, and try to do it. And I think I would eventually give up and just go fishing instead. Yeah. So, well, I, exactly. <laughs> well yeah. I, I, I do want to say this sincerely, Joe, we, we do miss you terribly and we really enjoyed having you, uh, with us for many, many years. And it's so, so good to see you again and, mm-hmm. and talk with you again. And I, I've got one really, really important question I have to ask you before you leave. And that is what's the biggest fish that you caught down there in, in <laughs> Key West? <laughs> I don't really go for the big ones. I go for the good ones. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not what you call a sports fisherman. You know, a lot of folks go for bone fish and stuff right. like that down here. Right. I mean, that's, this is the capital of the world for that kind of fishing uh but uh i I like fish you can bring home and cook and eat otherwise you you know why are you doing it you know and so uh they're not that big i caught a big mutton snapper i guess about a year or two years ago that Mm -hmm. was that big you know and we'll we'll use our imagination yeah i've caught a lot of sharks and you know stuff like that that's no good uh but they're a pretty good fight yeah, but, really? Uh, I'm not a real serious fisherman. I just like being on the water. Okay. You know, we go out sometimes. Tiffany and I will go out in the backcountry here on the Gulf. There's all kinds of little islands and beaches you can go to and just sit out there and relax and, you know, just uh, enjoy the crystal clear water. And it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, my yeah. boat is in dry dock right now. I've had some work doing that on it. I was polishing it today. I'm hoping to get it back in the water the next couple of days. And we're going to be out there doing that again. Well, good deal. Well, it sure is great to talk with you, and mm-hmm. we do miss you terribly. And it's good to to catch up. And we it appreciate is, it you. Is. I've enjoyed it. This has brought back well, a lot of you. memories to me. Well, it's we great just- to have you talk with us today. We do want to have you back on again. All right, and it does exactly, exactly. Joe, thank you ever so much. A great time, and uh, we're going to let you go. I'm going to come back in a minute here and talk to Ben a little bit more, and we'll wrap up everything. But again, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, uh, you know, um, best of continued success with the the broadcast. You, you know, the the news show that you do every morning, and I'm definitely going to get up. It's a little early for me, but I will find a way to get up to, and listen to the stream. I definitely want to hear you. Up. It starts at seven thirty and goes till nine, so it's oh, okay. not that See, early. That's even better than yeah. that's even better. That's works then. I can do that. Seven thirty sure. till nine. US One Radio dot com. Okay, sounds good. Hey, hey, Joe. You never know. You might figure out which car the mayor of Key West is driving, and you might do a play by play of him going to the office or something like. Let's get that back in like the MRN days. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I just thought, I just him or her, I should say. Mm-hmm. I just thought something. I'm curious. Yeah, are there any racetracks in the Key West area? I'm no. Just curious. No, no, they weren't. Okay. No, no. I, in in the Florida Keys, people do one of two things: they fish, 
and or drink. That's about all. <laughs> well, there's, not many, there's not many race fans. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, my wife was working at Dolphin Research Center in Marathon when we first moved down here. And I was still working at MRN at the time. Mm -hmm. And we went to their Christmas party that year up in Marathon at a restaurant. And we're sitting at a table with some folks that also worked at Dolphin Research Center. And uh, so we're just chatting, you know, and uh, the guy said, uh, what do you do? And I said, uh, I, I work for NASCAR. He said, NASCAR? And I said, yeah. He said, what do you do? I said, uh, I do the radio stuff. He said, what's your name? And I said, Joe Moore. You're the Joe Moore? You are Joe Moore? And come to find out this guy's a huge NASCAR fan. Right. Uh, you know, listened on a regular basis, knew everybody on the broadcast. I mean, he was just totally in orbit. But that's the only person I've ever met down here <laughs> who even knows what NASCAR is. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, maybe you can go to, a, go to a bar down there sometime and do a play-by-play -play on people drinking beer. So there, there you go. go. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. Well, Joe. Good again, to have you with us, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, guys. It was yeah. fun. Yeah, Joe, you take care now. We're going to have you back very soon because we really enjoy this. And, um, you know, uh, you know, best, like I said, continue best success uh, down on the radio down there. And we'll get you back maybe in another month or two, maybe around Christmas time or so, because I know that you've got a ton more stories and we just kind of scratched the surface. So thank you ever so much for joining us. And uh, we'll we'll catch you soon then. OK. All right. See you guys. Thank All right. You. All right. All right, we want to say thanks ever so much to Joe Moore again, the, the longtime voice of Motor Racing Network. Now, he's not retired at all, folks. And, um, you know, if you get a chance to listen to him on the stream, definitely do so. I mean, it, it'd, be, it'd be good, if you're, especially if you're a longtime NASCAR fan, to hear Joe. Uh, he's doing some different stuff, but certainly a great voice and a great person. So we want to thank him very much for joining us here on the Lifetime in Motorsports podcast. And by the way, I didn't mention this at the outset, Ben. This is episode 82. That's right, 8-2. We're only 18 away from number 100. I can't wait for us to reach that. But let's talk about, you know, we always like to talk about, you know, the episode number. We tied it in with a car number in NASCAR. And as we have seen, which is, you know, I think a lot of fans may be surprised, but, you know, it could certainly have surprised me over the last year and a half or so that, we, that I've been part of this show. A lot of car numbers just really are not well known or successful or whatever you want to call it and the 82 is kind of in that same ballpark so ben let's talk about the 82 there's not a really lot to talk about it but let's talk about the 82 tell us about it yeah number 82 didn't has not uh gone to victory lane at any point in nascar history we're looking at 74 years of nascar cup series competition and has never been to victory lane but uh, came really, really close on September 4th, 1950 at the inaugural Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway and a familiar name to most uh, of the race fans that have studied NASCAR history. Fireball Roberts finished mm -hmm. second in that race uh, using car number 82. Uh, Johnny Mance was the winner in a Plymouth that day. Uh, using a set of IndyCar tires, older, uh, well, I won't say older, but harder is the word, uh, tires on his uh, Plymouth number 98 Plymouth and uh, number 82 was the car number for uh, Fireball Roberts who finished second that day. But the number has never, ever been to victory lane anytime in the Cup Series history. And we're approaching 75 years of NASCAR cup series competition uh next year but mm -hmm. uh so far we've never seen number 82 go to victory lane 
Well, you know, I'm looking at racingreference.info, uh, and, you know, there's quite a few different um, names that kind of pop out, but the, among those that do pop out, 1980, they did, they, yeah, let's try it again. 1980, the Daytona 500. Couldn't get that one out of my mouth there for a minute there. Uh, Janet Guthrie drove the number 82 car. I found that very interesting that she drove that car in, in 1980. And then also uh, the guy that uh, drove it for a really long time, he started in the end, well, for two seasons, 2009 and 2010, former Formula One driver who became back to the U.S., Scott Speed, drove for two years. And then we have not seen the number 82 in NASCAR Cup competition since Scott Speed uh, was at uh, Homestead in 2010, the final race of the 2010 season. So, you know, it's it's a it's a car that's, you know, it has 349 starts, zero wins, 41 top fives, 94 top tens, five poles. But, um, you know, if, if you're if you're looking to buy a team and you're looking for a car number, hey, let's start off the 82. I kind of like that number, though, in a way, you know, so. Yeah, 82 has been around a long time. And uh, there's a driver, I think his name was Mark Stahl. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, drove yeah. number 82 for, for several seasons. Right. Uh, it's just a number that's been out there for a long, long time. And for whatever reason, did not uh, go to victory lane. But, hey, let's, you know, let's start a race team, use it, and see if we can get it there. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. you know, but I don't have the money to start a race team, so maybe not. <laughs> I got 10 bucks. We can start right there. You know, okay, we can shares, I like think I've got market. a 20 in my wallet. So. <laughs> exactly I don't right. know if we, what could we buy for 30 bucks that relates to the cup series? I don't know. Maybe a cup, maybe a cup holder. How about that? <laughs> no, I, my, my little hobby pins, it's uh, pins are about 10 bucks now, or maybe a little bit more now, actually, you know, the race pins, that's my, yeah. what I do whenever I, wherever I go, I'm only of all the races I've gone to, and I've gone to hundreds, obviously, the only race I've ever gone to that I never got a pin for. I mean, well, there were a few races that didn't make pins. Well, I'll, I'll say that. But the only racetrack that I went or race I went to that I failed to get a pin. And Mike Smith was the PR director at the time at uh, Martinsville. I said, Mike, I never got a pin for the race. Well, Mike never got it to me. It was like it was I think it was the uh, spring race in Martinsville in I think it was like 2005 or six, something like that. And I, that's the only one I never got. And it's, it's always stuck in my cross. So one of these days I'm going to buy that pin, but um, yeah, I mean, I know that's, that's about all you can get for maybe under 30 bucks you know, at, at most souvenir stands of. So, and yeah. And that is a question. I wonder if you could buy anything on a cup series car of today for $30, maybe duct tape, duct tape that's right. <laughs> or exactly. racers tape. I should say exactly. that's right, probably right. the only thing. That's right. Well, I will say this. I mean, you know, very, very happy we had Joe Moore on. I mean, you know, Joe has always been one of my favorite people. We we don't really know each other that well, but we know each other by reputation, and his reputation is sterling. And of course, you know, in the time that he spent in the booth, <clears throat> excuse me, with Bernie Barney Hall, you know, they 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 were like frickin' frack. They were just so they worked off each other so 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 well. And you know, I, I miss both Barney, who's obviously passed on, and uh, sadly, and Joe. I mean, Joe's on to a different uh, career in retirement, if you want to call it that. Uh, but I miss those guys. I mean, they they really. To, and, and this is nothing against the guys doing the broadcast now, or the guys that used to do the broadcast way in the back in the day. I just miss you know Barney and Joe. They just seem to really click so well you know what i'm saying yeah yeah barney was such a natural behind the microphone and i think the reason he was so good is because he was one of those types that didn't have to try to be good he yeah. was just somebody that uh, we all could relate to uh every time he was on a broad a race broadcast 
And to know Barney off the the air was just as much. He was just as genuine off the air as he was on the air. Mm-hmm. And man, I miss him. You know, I've I've said it before on other podcasts, but I had the honor of writing a book with Barney mm-hmm. many years ago. And just funny stories from Barney is what it was. But it was, oh my gosh, I miss him. I think about him all the time. And and uh, oh, it, just a tremendous individual, somebody that I really admired and a mentor of mine. And I would love to just see him in the media centers and all the time, like, you know, what Joe was talking about, all these fun yep. jokes that he would tell and just funny stories. And he had a million of them that uh, he had acquired from, say, 1958 when he got into the racing mm-hmm. uh, and, on the Cup Series until his passing. But, boy, was was he just a class individual and somebody I really admired. And, and I do. I think about him a lot. And the fun part for me, uh, sorry that he's passed on now, but you can go on MRN on their website and go to their archives right, and, right. and listen from what, 79 or maybe even before. No, no, not even. Uh, that's wrong. 70 in the mid 70s, early 70s to races up into the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just listen to him and Ken Squire and a bunch of those older announcers and and just turn it on. And, and it's a three and a half hour, four hour, some of those races. And boy, it brings back some tremendous memories of Richard Petty, David Pearson, Bobby Allison, Cale Yarborough, so many greats uh, as they won races back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, mid 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. What a great, great. Uh, service that MRN puts out for all the, the race fans to to go back and visit some of those races. I love to listen to them. If I'm out in my shop and I can turn it on on the internet that I have out there and uh, just listen to old races, what a joy that is to to listen to Barney and all those great announcers from MRN. Exactly. You know, and it's it's funny you should mention that because you know periodically over the years, uh, even though my forte my big thing has been writing i've done some radio work and you know a lot of fans especially the young people will come up to you and say well how do i get into radio how you know or how do i get into writing but when it comes to radio though they'll say well you know i i want to get into nascar radio how do i do that and invariably you you hit it right on the on the uh the head uh there ben you know, go back in those archives. Those are the most valuable things there are because you will learn so much about how to be a good broadcaster by listening to Barney Hall, by listening to Joe Moore, and even the guys yes. today, you know, the early you know, the guys that are doing it today. You 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 learn the nuances, you learn the timing, you learn the inflection, you learn when to say something, and as Barney used to say, you learn when not to say something. And right. you know, it, it, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and, you know, periodically, I will go back and listen to some of those broadcasts. I, I, I typically go like the mid to late 80s. That's where I kind of like to listen to. But um, I always like to joke to everybody, well, you know, you can listen to the thing, but at least I know who won, you know, so that kind of thing. But, but, but <laughs> yeah. anyway. Well, you know what, when I go back and listen to some of those old older races uh sometimes i'm I'm pretty good at remembering Mm -hmm. who won but sometimes Mm -hmm. i don't remember who won and that's even more fun because (laughs) it's like gosh i don't remember who won this one i want to listen to the whole thing and you know it's like some of the early 70s races i really don't remember who won and it's like listening all over again but i remember listening to those as, as a child yeah uh, when I was 12, 13, 14, David Pearson, Richard Petty, some of those great battles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they, uh, they were battling and they did a lot of battling uh, for first and second 
I think it was 63 times the Richard Petty and, and David Pearson battled for wins mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was 33 to 30. And I think right. it was Pearson. Pearson over, yeah, that's right. You're right. Over Richard Petty. Thir- Pearson had 33 and Richard had 30, I believe. Right. But I mean, I just, sometimes I don't remember. So that's the fun ones to listen to and just turn it on and listen. And, and you hear Barney and Joe Moore and, and some of those great, great announcers. And, and of course you hear Dave Moody and, and mm-hmm. Eli and all, but gosh, they're just so much fun to go back and listen to. And, and again, like I said, MRI uh, puts them on. What a great service to that they give to all these uh, race fans. who just want to go back and reminisce and, and listen to all those great stars of the eighties, nineties, and two thousands. Yeah. That man, what a, what a fun trip those are. Well, I'll tell you the, the one final thing I'm going to say is that, you know, I first really started covering NASCAR in 2000. I mean, I didn't did some stuff before this, but I mean, really, you know, uh, day to day, week to week, month to month kind of thing was in 2001 when I joined ESPN. But I'll tell you, I mean, from from 2001 all the way to the present time, any races that I you know was personally at, I will listen to some of those and I'll go, you know, when, when the race is over, I'm going to say, geez, I don't remember, remember it being that way. You know, I was there and I don't remember this happened or this happened. You know, it's, it's like, okay, am I getting dementia here? Am I getting old or what's <laughs> going on here? You know, so, but anyway, well, listen, Ben, great day today. Again, as always, great show and great guest with Joe Moore. And, uh, uh, you know, we got episode coming, 83 coming up ne- uh, next week, uh, Lifetime in Motorsports podcast. And uh, just, uh, just, really really enjoyed this i mean you know ever since we started bringing in guests i mean i think it's really taken our show to the uh, next new level and uh really enjoy talking to these guys and i think that they uh genuinely enjoy talking to us because you know they get to relive some of their favorite stories and it makes them feel good you know to rec- recall uh things that they've seen things they broadcast things they've written about things they've gone through you know that kind of thing so uh i can't wait to see who our next guest is going to be because i'm going to be ready let's just like you are so okay oh yeah it should be fun we're we got some great people coming up and mm-hmm. uh yeah it's gonna be fun so tune in and, and listen to great stories coming up let's just say it that way exactly exactly all right so for ben white i'm jerry bunkowski thank you very much for listening to a lifetime in motorsports episode number 82 we'll be back with episode 83 next week and thanks again for every every very much everyone for listening to us and thanks again to joe moore for joining us today and we'll be back with more of a lifetime in motorsports podcast in, a, in about a week or so. Thanks everyone for again for listening. You take care, and Ben and I say goodbye. And as as Walter Cronkite, Walter Cronkite would say, goodbye. How does he go? Goodbye, good night, and whatever how he said it. But you, you know what I'm talking about. So so, all right, folks, take care. And uh, for Ben White, I'm Jerry Bunkowski. Thanks for listening to a Lifetime in Motorsports podcast, episode number eighty two. Take care now.